2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, and I've got a special co-pilot this week. First time he's been at the controls. He's been through flight training, though, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I do refer to this, uh, Andy, as uh, as my own personal cockpit. But uh, Andy Backstrom, semi-new, semi-new to on3.com and to uh, Lettermanroe.com. Welcome for the first time to the Tim May Podcast.
0: Thanks for having me on, Tim.
2: And don't touch any of the buttons, man, unless I tell you to, okay? (laughs) Uh, You could send us into a tailspin for which we would never probably recover. But that's another uh, podcast for another day. Uh, Andy, I wanted to introduce you to the folks because uh, I've kind of felt remiss that I haven't had you on. You know, you joined us basically the 1st of November. You had been covering Boston College uh, for, for a few years, right? Do I have that right?
0: Yeah, I've been covering them for six years, actually, dating back to when I was an undergrad student there. So golly, it was quite the different beat, I'll say that. Very, very different scene there.
2: Back when you were an undergrad there, what, four years ago? I mean, golly, man. <laughs> uh, what are you, 20? How old are you, 20?
0: 24 turning 25.
2: Yeah, I'm 68 turning 74. But uh, anyway, uh, by, by the way, welcome. I think you've done great work since you, I think you were doing great work at Boston College. Hey, but who cares? Right. Uh now you're covering Ohio State. And uh that is quite the jump, isn't it? I mean, from a from the standpoint of eyeballs on you, um, uh, reading what you're writing, paying attention to what you're saying, you know, and you and Spencer and myself, uh, and sometimes Matt Parker get together on some of those post practice um uh, rapid reactions and things like that. It's uh it is it is an interesting fishbowl,
0: isn't it? Certainly, because with Boston College, you know, if they're winning seven or eight games, people are entertained and and pretty content with that. You know, they'll, they'll be a sleeper pick in the ACC every so often. But here if Ryan Day loses one or two games, you know, the world's ending. So it's just a completely different atmosphere. Uh, also in Boston, you know it's a pro sports city. It's a city of champions, as they like to call it. You know, it's Boston Celtics. There's the Patriots, of course, and then even the Bruins and the Red Sox command so much of that market. College football doesn't have too much room to grow, even though Boston College is the only FBS program in that area. uh, There's just really not as much interest. What has to line up is that BC has to be really good and the Patriots have to be really bad. And for the last 20 years, the Patriots are almost never bad. And BC has had limited success. Their one great year in 2007, which seemed to be everyone's great year uh, in the weirdest year of college football, at least in my lifetime. BC was number two at one point after going undefeated through, I believe, the first eight games. But then they lost to Florida State at home, and things kind of got off the rails there. That was with Matt Ryan. But even that season, of course, that's when the Patriots went undefeated In the regular season and almost went perfect for the whole season, giving the 72 Dolphins a run for their money. So it's just a tough market. You know, it's really dominated by pro sports. It's a tough position for a school like Boston College to join the ACC in 2005 and trying to get that entertainment, get that eyes, you know, the eyeballs on, on the screen. But it's just hard to compete when you're going against teams down south where that is. The popular sport, college football, is king.
1: Yeah,
2: well, don't bring up Boston College to my to my friend uh, Keith Byers, 1984, uh, the Hail Mary Doug Flutie threw uh, down in the Orange Bowl, Orange Bowl Stadium. Uh, uh, you know, Keith Byers, running back for high state, then had a fabulous year that year. Although he suffered a high ankle sprain near the end of it, which cost him the Heisman Trophy because he could have really put some numbers up at the end of the year. Meanwhile, Doug Flutie had a tremendous career. You know, I think when he left when he left college, I think he was the all time leading, um, uh, uh, passer in, in, in major college history, uh, in terms of yardage, et cetera. So he didn't just back into, uh, the Heisman with a, with a hail Mary, but the bottom line is, uh, it didn't sit well with, uh, Keith Byers to this day, as he says, Doug Fleedy still has his Heisman, but, uh, you know, it's really funny. I told you when, when I, uh, I was a volunteer at the U S open this year at Brookline at the, at the country club. And, uh, our parking spot every day. We took a little shuttle bus over to to uh, to the country club. Parking spot was on one of Boston College's uh, pra- football practice fields, and uh, I can't imagine Ohio State letting uh, people park on their uh, football their hallowed ground, which is their football practice fields. But hey, real quick before we, I, I wanted to let people know I've got uh, Gary Stoken, the executive director of the Peach Bowl, uh, uh, coming on here in just a, in just a few minutes. Uh, just talking about Ohio state playing in the peach bowl for the first time ever. It's funny. Peach bowl has been around since 1968, but this is the first time Ohio state will have played in this game. And I've, I think I've been to almost every bowl game of, of repute. Uh, And this will be the first time uh, going to the peach bowl covering Ohio state, but uh, he's interesting guy, man. And uh, we'll get into him in a minute, but uh, uh, what has been from a football sense, uh, like you touched on it a minute ago, Ohio State lost one game this year. And of course, you know, it was to the arch rival for the second straight year, which enhances or exacerbates, is the better term, uh, the scar that that leaves and stuff. But what is the thing you found out about Ohio State football just in a month and a half of covering it that you kind of were, maybe you thought it might be that way, but not like that much, or maybe it's not as much this way as you thought.
0: I think it's when they're playing an opponent that is perceived as much lesser than them, which is most of their regular season opponents. It's almost as if they're playing an FCS team where they're judged as if, okay, it's not if you're winning, it's how much are you winning by? How well are you playing? How many mistakes are there? It's almost like you're you're graded on the extent of a blowout versus just winning a game. Whereas for most programs, even in the power five, It's, are you winning? You know, are you into that next week? Want to know? And here it is just how much are you winning by? How well is each individual player playing? Uh, The slightest mistake could open up controversy for a position battle. Um, Just the very nuances of every different position group is highlighted just because there's so much talent lined top to bottom on this roster that there's always a conversation if maybe the guy beneath you is better because he's also a five-star or he's a highly rated four-star. And I think at a lot of programs, there isn't necessarily that back and forth throughout the season. There's training camp battles, right? There's preseason battles. There's injuries guys have to step up, but there probably isn't the same level of competition at positions throughout the season, just because a one mistake made or two mistakes made in a game. So I think that I knew going in was going to be something that was different, but you can't even really prepare for it because just the level of uh, fan interest and passion is extremely cool. But it also invites a lot of these conversations that you just don't see in other parts of the country.
2: I agree with you 100%. And uh, sometimes I wonder if that's fair or not. And, uh, you know, I, I, in this age, uh, I believe the W is all that matters. And uh, if you can get it by a few more points, that's good, too. But you're exactly right. It's both an athletic contest and a beauty contest every week for Ohio State. And uh, I don't think that's fair on the coaches, et cetera. I'm not giving them any excuses. They get paid really good money. But, uh, but boy, when when the you-know-what comes down, it comes down, man, like, like hail. <laughs> Frozen you-know-what. You know what I mean? Because it yeah. uh, it hurts when it hits and then it smells uh, as it lingers. but uh uh, and you know and, and I'm not sure the media if we're, you know we're we're just basically delivering information in some form or fashion and obviously get delivering uh opinions on the way things go. But I just wanted to ask you, uh, you know, what what were you most uh at the end of the year? what were you most disappointed in in this in at the end of the regular season? Uh, besides the fact they got beat by Michigan, what would you, what were you most disappointed in uh, about this
0: football team? Well, this one's a little bit selfish because, you know, when I was coming in, I heard the greatest things about C.J. Stroud. And I had watched C.J. Stroud do amazing things on the football field. But pretty much as soon as I got onto the beat, maybe on the bad luck but he did not play great football. Uh, I I feel like, I think every game that I covered, he was under 70% completion percentage, which sounds fine, you know, relatively, but given his prowess and his success at Ohio State, he was above that mark. And, you know, just at times looked off, especially with the the medium to to deep range passes. Um, And, you know, some of that was conditions. We saw at Northwestern, really no one could throw the football in that weather. Um, But other times, you know, it, it just either drops were happening in the Michigan game or he just wasn't putting the ball where he needed to. And I think it's really cool for him because, you know, he obviously gets to be a Heisman finalist for the second time. We saw the ceremony on Friday. I think we'll talk a little bit about that and just how cool that was for him. But he gets a shot to go out the right way. I think game it was very apparent that that was probably his last game as an Ohio State Buckeye. And now, you know, he's going into the college football playoff. He talked about how juiced he is for that matchup because it's a chance for him to cement his legacy at Ohio state and not be remembered as a guy who couldn't beat Michigan or as a guy who didn't deliver a big 10 championship, but a guy that got them to the college football playoff. And if he pulls off the upset against Georgia, that's going to be one of the better wins in program history. And so for me personally, I think it's, it's cool to watch CJ. He carries himself with so much class, uh, obviously a man of faith and, a lot of respect for him and what he does. And I think it would just be cool to see him do what he's capable of doing. And I think he is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. I think he'll be a good pro. And, you know, uh, I guess that's one thing that I was looking forward to seeing and just haven't seen quite yet, but we'll have an opportunity to see in the college football playoff.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I voted for the Heisman trophy uh, for the 39th straight year this year. And uh, my ballot, I had CJ at the top, uh, Caleb Williams, second, Max Diggins or Max Dugan, no matter how you pronounce it, don't call him late for the, uh, for the fourth and goal, which is exactly what TCU did uh, in that overtime game. But the bottom line is that, that was my top three. And, um, and people will say to me, I'm sure, well, wait a minute, CJ never beat Michigan. He, uh, as a starting quarterback, he, he never won a big 10 championship as a starting quarterback. And I go, well, Caleb Williams never beat Utah as a starting quarterback. Uh, he didn't win a, a PAC 12 championship. So uh you know, talk to me later about, you know, um, it's an cumulative effect. I mean, I, I know you were watching this game before. The fourth quarter, especially at Penn State, was one of the great quarters by an Ohio State quarterback, maybe the best in history. So was the second half against Utah in the Rose Bowl, which, by the way, happened uh, ha- happened after uh, last year's Heisman Trophy uh, was was delivered. I mean, that's one of the one of the great performances by quarterback period in college football. I didn't forget about all of those. And I, I agree with you. Things fell off in the, basically in the month of November, right after you arrived and unloaded your uh, Volkswagen Beetle uh, with all that stuff jammed in it. Uh, Things fell off for Ohio state. The Ohio state offense didn't help as you well know, because you got to go to the, uh, you got to go to the wind bowl, otherwise known as the game at Northwestern. Nobody could throw in that, in that stuff. Um, But I just think as a, career over two years cj's been about as good as anybody i've ever seen at ohio state from the standpoint of consistently throwing the ball and even the michigan game he threw for over 300 yards had a couple passes dropped in that game which would would have made a either dropped or knocked out of people's hands that probably should have been caught that would have made a huge difference in that game and that's what i always say about the quarterback man It, it takes two to tango and yeah he missed some he missed some throws in that game also as anybody's want to do but uh um, you're right. This is it fair? I think it is fair. It'll be his could be one of his last two games as a buckeye. because uh, like you said, he probably wasn't going to play in a bowl game, but in a college football playoff game, he's uh ready to go. Uh is it fair to base someone's legacy on one game or one season or or a couple of games? And my answer is, well, of course it is, because that's what sets you apart. What do you do in those games? where it really matters, you know, but like I said, with the quarterback, it takes two to tango. And uh, so you always judge it that way too. Right.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the bottom line is like, if, if he doesn't perform extremely well against Georgia or even if he does and they lose, you can't say, Oh, he was not a great quarterback for Ohio state. I mean, he's still up there with JT Barrett, some of the best stats you'll have in that program record book. Of course, JT was there even longer. Yeah. And I think, you just can't discount that, even though at that point you'd be saying he didn't beat Michigan. He didn't win the big games. I think the level of consistency, what, three games with six touchdown passes, which yeah. is a program high for a single game. Just some of the throws, the touch, and the anticipation he passes with, it's clear why he's a top five projected NFL draft pick. I mean – he's going to be a guy that's going to get great opportunities at the next league, uh, next level in, in the NFL. And I think there's a reason why. So whether you want to claim that now uh, while he's playing for Ohio state, or you want to claim it when he's successful at the NFL level, if he is, uh, that's your choice. I think yeah. that, but there's always going to be that pressure and I think that's fair to hold them to that standard, right? Because sure. it is a big game. And you know, the 2014 team is is known for what it is because of the way it performed in that playoff and Cardale Jones he didn't have the numbers that CJ had, you know, he didn't have the numbers that a lot of guys had, but he won those games in the college football playoff and led them to a the national championship. And he'll always be loved in Columbus. So yeah. I think that those games, they, they matter and they carry weight and they should be.
2: Yeah. And Cardo Jones, you know, when you look back on it, he did what it took to win the game, whether it was running or throwing. And uh, that's what stood out. Max Duggan uh, this year, uh, lifted TCU. He did whatever it took, whether it was running or throwing. And, uh, I got into that with uh, with Urban Meyer on Urban's Take last week. I mean, how do you how do you take a guy that basically willed you back into that game against Kansas State, and in the last two carries of the game uh, he doesn't carry the ball? You know, you head it to a running back, you get stuffed for some reason. You go for it on fourth. I mean, just right on down the line. Well, what was interesting to me is I'm looking at that uh, those uh, those top four for the Heisman standing there the other night. The only guy who won his last game of those four was Stetson Bennett. You know former walk-on dude who continually got slapped down, slapped down, slapped down, proved his worth, won a national championship and is back playing for another one. And, uh, that's who CJ Stroud's going to face. And what Stetson Bennett does is if it takes a run on third and four to keep a drive alive or third and eight, he does it. He also, uh, he's a little bit hit or miss in the passing game. Sometimes he's hot. Sometimes he's not, but when he's hot, you know, he's really hot. And, uh, I just think this is definitely, in the modern college football era, your quarterback decides the game for you. I think you, in some form or
0: fashion, that's why I'm very much looking forward to this uh, Peach Bowl, aren't you? Absolutely. I mean, we talk about the defense in the Michigan game, but if you're scoring points, you know, you could still win that game. And and this is something that I know you've brought up, Tim. Like, yeah. there are three losses In the last two years, it's been they've they've scored less than 30 points. And I think with this Ohio State offense, it's been near the top of the FBS really throughout the entire Ryan Day era. Scoring points, which starts with your quarterback, is paramount, especially in the playoff where the offenses are, quite frankly, just better than the defenses. So you're going to have to probably win some sort of shootout, if you want to call it that. And it's going to be C.J. Stroud v. Stetson Bennett. A 25-year-old, former walk-on, went to JUCO. And I think it's really funny. Everyone was shocked that, that he's 25. It seemed like most people didn't understand that. But I was like, you know his story. He, he started yeah. on Georgia, you know, didn't have a scholarship, then got went to JUCO, then came back, got the scholarship. And it's like, it adds up. Yeah. <laughs> but very different circumstances. And I know CJ was lowly recruited until, you know, his recruiting took off in that 2020 cycle. But uh, certainly different Storylines yeah. of uh, <laughs> the top.
2: Yeah, it would been interesting if uh, Stetson Bennett and hinden Hooker were two of the were two of the finalists. One's twenty four, the other's twenty five. I mean, yeah, it's old man's game again, you know. But uh, hey, that means I got a shot. That means I got a <laughs> shot, Andy. Hey, we're gonna come back and talk a little bit more about Ohio State getting ready for this bowl game. Uh, but I want to get get to my uh, conversation with Gary Stoke and the executive director, longtime executive director. Of the Peach Bowl, the guy who started out as a basketball player at North Carolina State and then a basketball coach, and and uh, we kind of chronicle how he got into this position. And he's he's one of the power brokers in major college football now. Uh, the the way uh, he has grown the Peach Bowl, obviously with great help from um, a big time sponsor in Chick Fil A. That what it always takes, and a great venue in that Mercedes Benz Dome. Formerly, uh, you know, before that they were they played at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. And then they played at uh at the uh, Georgia Dome, um, and now of course um they uh, graduated to the Mercedes Benz Dome, home of the Atlanta Falcons, but also home to of some great college football, including a preseason well it's not a preseason game, it's part of the uh, a special game every year, like Georgia versus Oregon this year was played in that game, and then of course they've hosted the Southeastern Conference Championship game. It seems like forever now, but uh, <laughs> let's get to my conversation with Gary Stoken executive director of the Peach Bowl. Boy, I'm pleased to welcome this next uh, young man, Gary Stoken. Hey, Gary, uh, welcome to the Tim May Podcast, a uh, longtime executive director of the uh, Peach Bowl. You've you got to be stoked, don't you? Getting well, a house take
1: finally in your game. I appreciate the comment that I'm young. Yeah. Uh, so, so I appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're ecstatic to have number one versus number four. This is the third time we've hosted the CFP semifinal and every time we've had number one versus four. So to have Ohio State for the first time is uh tremendous and uh to have Georgia back as uh, number one. They started the season as number one in our chick-fil-A kickoff game. So uh, yeah. we said this was going to be a record season and to open with Atlanta uh, in Atlanta with uh, Georgia and Oregon and Clemson and Georgia Tech and then to end it with number one versus four Ohio State, Georgia is tremendous. Yeah, just think about the impact all those games had. I mean, it's uh, uh you're, yeah, it's you're- close to $100 million of economic impact, number one. It's great for the city, tourism-wise, because coming out of COVID. And then number two, you know, these uh, Chick-fil-A kickoff games, we've changed the face of college football on the front side of the season because yeah, you can see Notre Dame going to Ohio State or Oregon going to Ohio State, in your case. Um, but it's become a major data point for the CFP selection committee, um, And it's also uh, really helped TV ratings and, and people really get into football the first week of the season. Those first uh Ohio State, Notre Dame, LSU, Florida State, our two games through week 10 were, the, were four of the top 20 broadcasts on TV, believe it or not. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, about the impact it had. Forget about financial impact
2: on the Atlanta area. I mean, uh, the impact it had. Just on this year's college football playoffs is uh is kind of ridiculous when you look at it. Hey Gary, does, I want to get to you real quick. You know, most people don't understand the Peach Bowl has been around since 1968, I think, right?
1: That's and, correct. And you've Wait, been nice the executive. Bowl, is bowl game,
2: yeah. And you you've been the executive director since what 1998, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, right? That's correct. Uh, I wanted to get you real real quick because I don't have a lot of time with you. I wanted to just get your little timeline there on obviously. Uh, you weren't in the bowl, uh, for one of another term rep, uh, business way back when, matter of fact, you were in the, uh, you were in the, um, uh, 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 basketball shoe business for a while, weren't you?
1: Yeah, I started my career as an assistant basketball coach at North Carolina state after playing at NC state. And then, uh, went from there to Adidas and then from Adidas to Converse, then started my own sports marketing company, sold that to a company from London, uh, in 96, they wanted to come in for the Olympic games we were have, having gotcha. here. Went back to Adidas when we signed Kobe Bryant. And, um, you know, so uh, then in 1998, got off the road and uh, took this job. Yeah. But I was going to say, you were you were on the cutting edge
2: way back then of like leading up to what we have right now, which is the name, image, and likeness. You know what I mean? I mean, in, in some form or fashion about uh, uh, getting big time uh, basketball players in the NBA signed to off shoe contracts. I mean, that was, that was cutting edge back then, right?
1: Well, yeah, I had signed Herschel Walker, who arguably is the best college football player ever. I signed Mike Krzyzewski, the best college basketball coach ever. And I had Michael Jordan ready to sign and Adidas just didn't give me the money. Yeah, And so he signed with Nike and we all know the rest of that story. So I'd have had the best basketball player ever, the best basketball coach ever, and the best college football player ever. And, and then I signed extension contracts with uh, Magic and Bird. So, and Bird. yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. dealt with a lot of athletes and a lot of coaches and been very fortunate to be in sports for my whole career 44 years.
2: Yeah, but how did you go – I mean, how did you go from – I mean, obviously sports marketing is what led you to where you are now, but how did you go from being a stud basketball player – to getting so involved in football. I mean, uh, was it just a natural progression?
1: Well, number one, I wasn't a stud basketball player. I picked I know, threw that in of, there. Uh I it's, picked it's, splinters out of my butt. Yeah. Number two, um, you know, sports to me was always uh interesting. My dad was the uh the ticket sales manager at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. That's where I grew up. And so I was always around sports. I'd go down early with him and be around it. And then um, you know, just really passionate about sports. I found my passion early. Um, and so I've never worked a day in my life. Um, and I, I hopefully I've been successful at it, but you know, it's been something that's been very, very good to me and the people in sports and the relationships you can build are tremendous. They're lifelong. And so I've been very, very blessed. Well, what, what, what intrigued you? I'm just giving some background here. Cause I want to lead up to,
2: to my point is you guys being part of these, the, the uh, basically the New Year Six, the the college football playoff six. Uh, but what what intrigued you about getting involved with 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 the with the Peach Bowl in particular? Obviously in ninety six, uh, between ninety six and ninety eight, you made that transition. But what what was it that intrigued you about it?
1: Well, I would always served as a volunteer when I worked for Adidas and Converse and owned my sports marketing company as a volunteer for the Peach Bowl because I'd helped the executive director at that time, Robert Dell Morgan, get his job. And so we were friends. So, you know, we worked together. Uh, He was from Pennsylvania. I was from Pennsylvania. And then um, the opportunity came in 98 to run the Atlanta sports council and the peach bowl. And so the sports council gave me the opportunity to, to work every sport. I mean, I recruited the NCAA final four men's and women's here, uh, super bowls, uh, WrestleMania, uh, figure skating, you know, it just gave me a broad opportunity in, in all sports. And I found that even though I love basketball and and matter of fact, I just sent to Dan Gavitt a, an email saying that I think basketball needs to do what we did in football and start the season in November 1st and have an all in 350 team basketball tournament through December and then play the conference schedule January through March 15th. And then March 15th, have the NCAA it would have a flow to it. But anyway, I love ideas. I love to be created. I love a challenge. And, uh, you know, the Atlanta sports council gave me all the sports and then, uh, peach bowl gave me the focus on football though. You know, at the peach bowl, I, uh, um, we created a doubleheader basketball tournament, uh, for both men and women back at the time. So, uh, yeah. I've always loved basketball and stayed close to it. And, um, I miss coaching every day and tell my friends like, uh, well, now they're getting out of it, but Roy Williams and Rick Barnes, who were colleagues and friends when I got started to coach a little bit harder every day for me. Cause I miss it every day. Yeah.
2: i bet, you know, I bet you do nothing replaces it. I do a, I do a little podcast, been doing a little podcast during the football season this year with, with urban Meyer. And I, you know, everybody knows his story, et cetera, but, uh, once you're that involved in it, man, of course you miss the, especially the game day I would think is like. Well, it's all
1: consuming. You know, yes. when you're coaching, it's all consuming. You, you, you're in a bubble and, um, it's, it's the greatest challenge. And all I've done is I've taken all that I've learned, you know, in coaching and just applied it to basketball. So our, our internal business philosophy is team teamwork, empowerment, accountability management. Uh, yeah. um, yeah, you recruit people to roles. Uh, you uh, let them understand the role, have them accept the role, and then you let them play the role. You empower them to play the role. Just like, and I tell people, I tell my team, you know, this is, hey, I'm not putting a point guard at center, and I'm not putting a center at forward. <laughs> I'm not putting a quarterback at tight end, and I'm not putting a tight end at guard. Um, you have a specific role, whether it's marketing, events, like uh, legal. Um, And, uh, putting you in that role because you're an expert in the role and I'm gonna let you play the role. So that's the way we work. Sweet. Like a head coach should. Yeah.
2: Bear Brian up on his tower. You got a tower there in your, in your office? (laughs) No, we got a goalpost though. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Now you're talking my language. Hey, uh, let's get back to this. Uh, 98, you take over the peach bowl. Nice bowl game. You know, uh, but, but I would, you know, back then I'm trying to think, you know, cause I've been, I've been around for a long time since like, I, I'm 68. I mean, I've been, I've been watching bowl games since 1960,
1: 61, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? But, uh, I'm you guys 67 are this- and in 1998, when I took the bowl over, I was in charge of the selection committee and took Georgia and Virginia. So, uh, the AJC, I don't know if you know Mark Bradley of the AJC, but, he came out and said, Georgia heading toward third-tier bowl game, the Peach yeah, Bowl. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, yeah. And, um, you know, so that's the way we were profiled back then. And so for us to come from then in 98 to 2022 to be hosting number one versus number four for the third time in the CFP semifinals yeah, and to host the national championship in uh, uh, 17 and then to host it again in 25 – you know it's pretty remarkable. So uh, we've come a long way, but it's been great support from the city of Atlanta, corporate people, uh, the board, our volunteers, our staff, uh, stakeholders, partners, the stadium, hotels. We've got some great partners here in Atlanta, and that's why you can put on an Olympics and you can put on Super Bowls and Final Fours, et cetera. We've been very blessed to have that kind of team mentality in the city of Atlanta. But I wanted to ask you this though: When, when was that moment? Do you remember with your board of directors or whatever, where y'all
2: decided, "Hey, we're going for the brass ring here." I remember, you know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about John Junker and the Fiesta, but but they they decided they did they wanted to be part of the big show. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, it was a Cotton Bowl, Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Rose Bowl, and you know everybody else was like tiered from there. When do you remember when? Uh, was there a moment or a year where y'all just kicked back and said, yeah. hey, we're going to go for it?
1: Yeah, I'm a competitive son of a gun. And yeah, so I can tell in, that. In 2006, uh, when the BCS, uh, matter of fact, in 98, I'll tell you two stories. One in 98, when the BCS came out, I I came out and Rudy Martzky was with USA Today and Rudy was a friend. And I said, you know, this is going to hurt the bowl system because all the media and all the attention is going to yeah. flock to the four bowls and um roy kramer that december i took the job september that december he ripped me a new one saying what do you mean it's gonna hurt uh, i said well you wait and see what happens and and i was right yeah it hurt the rest of the bowl system and then in 2006 when the bcs said we're going to start a championship game we're going to add another bowl we made a great bid uh, we didn't win because uh Paul O'Lehan of the Cotton Bowl or the uh, Sugar Bowl just passed away. Yeah. Went to the commissioners and said, "Look, let the four of us, the Sugar Orange uh uh Fiesta and Rose run our game and then two weeks later host the championship on a rotational basis." Which they did. They agreed to that. Yeah. Um so in 2007, the NCAA um put a 11th or 12th game on the conference on the uh, football schedule. They added another game to the schedule. And I said to my board, I said, look, if they're not going to let us in the backside of the season, we're going to start the BCS on the front side of the season. And so I called Terry Don Phillips of Clemson, who's a friend. They were going to be a top 10 team with CJ Spiller and that group. And then I called Nick Saban, who was a friend who was in his second year at Alabama. Yeah. It just finished seven and six lost to Louisiana Monroe. And I said, Nick, I'm starting this. And he said, Gary, he said, love the play over there. You've been good to me because uh, I helped him get in the Peach Bowl in 2000 when he was just starting at LSU. Right. And um, wound up uh, coming over, and they were like borderline 25th, and Clemson was number nine. They they beat Clemson 34 to 10. And if Nick were on this call, I'd tell you, that was the start of the Alabama run. Yeah. Because the next year I had him back in our Chick-fil-A kickoff game. They were ranked number five against Frank Beamer and Virginia Tech, who was ranked number seven. And Nick told me, he said, I want to come over and play because if I can win Alabama recruiting and finish second to Georgia for Georgia kids, I'll play for national championships. And that second year, his third year, the second year I had him in our Chick-fil-A kickoff game in 2009 – He came in, uh, beat Virginia Tech, went on to win the national championship and had 19 kids from Georgia on his roster. And um, so, you know, I got basically Atlanta back in the mix by creating this kickoff game, which has changed the face of college football scheduling. And then in parallel to that, I was working to bring the College Football Hall of Fame to Atlanta because I had been to their induction ceremony in South Bend and said, Boy, this is old and antiquated. If this were in Atlanta, it'd be tremendous. So I had worked for uh, probably about eight years in getting that thing done. And we brought it. So I signed the uh, 30-year license with the NFF in 2009. We opened in 2011. And um, I think those two things really helped elevate us in the eyes of college football people that, hey, Cause we, we had put in $13 million into the college football hall of fame. So, uh, yeah. you know, that, that type of commitment, the commitment to uh, change the face of college football on the front side with the kickoff games. And then we had sold out, I think, 18 of 19, uh, bowl games at the time with sec versus ACC. So when I'd worked my ass off building a lot of relationships and, um, we went on to, uh, get the opportunity and, in uh, 2015 to host the first CFP, uh, first CFP game. Yeah. I mean, but that's crazy. And I mean,
2: because, I mean, did you have that vision that you were going to be, uh, I mean,
1: is it, I, I I'm asking three I questions. I told him I was, wanted to be crazy in the B- how it
2: worked out, I guess. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. I, I told my board, I said, you know, my job is to get us into the BCS and I failed because we never got into BCS, but we did get in the CFP and, we've changed the face of college football with the hall of fame and with the kickoff games. And yeah. So uh, yeah, for a basketball guy, I guess, I don't look at myself that way, but um, I guess for a basketball guy, that's not bad. Football guys always tell me, well, you don't know whether the ball is stuffed or puffed air in it. So yeah, I always laugh at them.
2: Yeah. But that's pretty funny. Cause uh, that's what I was leaning to. This is looking more and more like a basketball tournament. Every day you look around 12 teams starting in 2024 are going to be part of this, or are, are, what is your opinion of where this is headed? I mean,
1: I, I would think you're for it, but go ahead. Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think there's some un- unintended consequences to the playoff that are going to come into play. You know, they've started already. Uh, the media will pick up on it, obviously. When you, know, you have conference champions, like uh, if, if we had the playoff this year, Clemson, you know, would get a bye and is ranked number seven. Ohio State, number four, would have to play in the first week. Um, that's something that the media will probably, you know, have some fun with, I guess. Yes. Um, but I think the the uh, the thing that concerns me the most, and I think is a lot of great things, participation by student athletes, more teams, uh, more networks involved will promote the game. And, and I think ESPN does a great job right now um we're the second most favorite sport in this country and um so the growth opportunity is huge in college football um so everybody will benefit from that but i think you got to be concerned about kids who are hurt at the end of the year which everybody is in college football and asking them to play a conference championship game and then play ohio state and then alabama and then georgia the three best teams they've played all year yep week to week to week after they've just been handed a number one draft card by the NFL that guarantees them a $20 million signing bonus. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a real concern on my part may not be on a lot of other people, but in my part, I think it's a concern because, um, you have agents now in the kids' ears and the parents are going to talk to the kids and you know, we have to find a way with the NFL. There has to be a better relationship with the NFL through college football. Um, my belief is that, you know, if we're going to, we're going to keep it under the NCAA, which I don't think it should be, but if we're going to keep it under the NCAA, then the new NCAA president should A, be a business person, not a not an academician. Number two, they should have a commissioner of college football, college basketball, uh, baseball and Olympic sports and women's basketball. And that commissioner should have a board that's comprised of two ADs, two commissioners, two student athletes, two coaches, and they should figure out for that sport, what is the best vision for that sport going forward. Yeah, Dealing with scheduling, the playoff, a transfer portal, NIL, all the things that signing date, you know, that that you have to deal with because there's no leadership right now. And this is not to denigrate the presidents, but they don't have enough time for sports. They don't understand sports, but yet they're the leaders of sports. Yeah. And um, and I think that's some of the re- reasons we have some of the problems we're dealing with right now and some of the um, consternation that everybody's dealing with right now.
2: Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, I'll let you go from now, but uh, it's funny you brought that up about the grind that college football players are going to be facing in a couple of years. I mean, <laughs> if you're in that round of the first round, you could end up playing four games. And, uh, and I've been uh, opining that there may be guys, you know, because everybody's got an agent in their ear now it's illegal, right. Who are being whispered, Hey, dude, these are going to be the most foremost intense games you've ever played in your life. And, uh, and you're, you're going top five in the draft, top 12 in the draft. I, I could see opt-outs coming from that as opposed to like playing in a quote, meaningless bowl game. But as uh, funny, you brought that up. That's what I've been thinking all along, Gary. Hey, last question before I go uh, there's one thing uh, Ohio state fans who've never been to Atlanta for a bowl game. What should they take in if they get a shot? Uh, yeah, way?
1: most definitely. They should go to the college football hall of fame. Uh, Ohio state is staying at the Omni, which the hall of college football hall of fame is right next to the Omni uh cnn um center's right there yeah the centennial olympic park is right across the street the the aquarium is within 100 yards the largest uh, aquarium in the world uh the civil and human rights center the world of coke those are all within two to three hundred yards of the omni and so they should take all of those in and then they can walk up to mercedes-benz stadium it's basically maybe two or three football fields walk. Yeah. Uh, And then it's also two, 300 yards to our uh, fan fest, which we'll have about 35,000 people at our fan fest in Georgia world Congress center with all kinds of activities. And then we'll have our parade that will go right up uh, by the Omni into the Georgia world Congress center um, that day. And then we'll have our team walks about two hours before the game that uh, in the Home Depot backyard, the teams will look, get out of their buses and walk through their fans into Mercedes Benz Stadium with a kickoff at eight o'clock in prime time. So, uh, cool. and, and Atlanta's a great time that time of year. You know, we have huge Ohio State alumni base down here. Yeah. There's a ton of them in the Southeast. So, you know, people keep telling me, well, George is going to be everywhere. I said, well, you've never seen Ohio State go to a bowl game like I have over the last 25 years. They flock everywhere, so there will be a lot of red with Ohio State and Georgia in the city of Atlanta on New Year's Eve and and a couple of days before. I'm sure.
2: Yeah, crazy. These teams have only played once before in the in the yeah. in the history of football. And I was there, Garrison Hurst versus Robert Smith. You know the uh, yeah. Citrus Bowl way back when, but uh, that was the Citrus Bowl. And it's funny, the Citrus Bowl I think had aspirations to be what the Peach Bowl has become. Isn't that funny? Very,
1: well, it's I mean, interesting that Steve Hogan and his team do a great job and Tom Mickle before him. We've just been very blessed to, uh, to have the the city support uh, they do as well. We've probably got the better stadium and they've done a lot of great things with their stadium as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, Atlanta is the fourth largest convention town in the United States behind Orlando, Las Vegas, and Chicago. And uh, four of the six largest conventions in Atlanta this year are college football games. Wow. Our two Chick-fil-A kickoff games are Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl and the SEC championship. So that's how important college football is to Atlanta. And I'm telling you, it's, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, it was more of a, you know, and I grew up in the Marino and uh, Dorset era where Pitt won a national championship, but I'm telling you college football down here, because they didn't have pro sports till 1966. Yeah. colleges, you know, that's why the SEC and ACC, I mean, those were the pro sports were the college teams and it's remained that way till this day. Yeah. I grew up in Alabama and Texas, man. I saw every Alabama home game 61 to
2: 64. As I say, I saw Joe Namath when he played on two good knees. I said that before HBO did, but, uh, but yeah, it was amazing. Uh, just the Atlanta Braves, you know, whatever, whoever saw that come, my favorite team was the St. Louis Cardinals. You know what I mean? But, uh, I know what you're saying.
1: my, 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 uh, uh, Father in law played for the Cardinals uh, back, gosh, 52, 53, somewhere around there. But um, yeah, Joe Willie Namath from Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. I remember seeing Joe Joe Willie in, in the New York Jets when Lou Holtz, who was a friend, coached at NC State, left state, went to the Jets. Yeah. And so he got me a credential and had me down in the locker room. And, you know, Joe Namath to me was like the best, right? When I, grew oh, yeah. up, he was, yeah. Just think how big he'd have been on Twitter. <laughs> um, and, and nil what he'd have yeah. made nil, right? yeah anyway, I, I went over his locker to talk to him and i couldn't believe his, his both his knees were ballooned up you know he was hunched over i mean I, he was a shell of himself at that time player yeah. wise yeah because uh, he was the end of his career but I was amazed to look at him and say, gosh, this is Joe Willie. Name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. He was bigger than life. He light. took a beating. Yeah,
1: exactly. Boy, we could talk
2: about that for another hour, but I know you got to go. Hey, Gary Stoken, man, executive director of the Peace Bowl. Thanks for joining me, my man. I mean, I've 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 always been impressed. I've been impressed watching you from afar bring this bowl to where it is now, you know, and and now well, it's part you. of the it's part of the big ball. You know what I mean? So to speak. And uh, you got to be you got to be kind of proud
1: of it. Right. Well, I'm humbly proud, I, you know, I, I do it because, uh, you know, a lot of people have had a hand in it, no one does anything by themselves, and so we've created a team that's really worked well together, and we've created something special, and I'm glad because the city of Atlanta is my adopted city now, and, yeah. and uh, very proud to uh, leave something behind that, you know, I think is meaningful uh, for the city and gives us a lot of good things. I think the thing I'm most proud about, though, is we're the most charitable bowl organization in the country. You said we were formed in 1968 by the Lions to give back, and we've maintained that mission. We've given 60 million dollars in charitable donations since 2002, wow. which is probably double what every other bowl has done. Wow. And um, you know that's that's most important thing to us. I think using college football to to uh, help impact other people positively. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, Gary Stoken, Executive Director of the Peach Bowl. Thanks for joining
2: the Tim May Podcast, Gary.
1: Thanks, Tim. Hope to
2: see you in December. Absolutely, my man.
1: See All you right, then. Take care.
2: Thank you. Thank you, man. It was great. Here, here, here's, here's what you can just do. You can just come back and maybe comment on, like, it takes guys, you know, like this with a little bit of vision, but also some oomph, you know what I mean? To, like, that's why we're headed to a – to a 12-team playoff and stuff because, you know, as soon as you went to the BCS, well, that was just one versus two, but when you went to a Final Four, you know, it literally did diminish the value of what I call the high to medium-tier bowl games. I mean, you know, Eastern Michigan playing somebody else in like the Reliant, you know, uh, car rental bowl or something is going to stay special for those teams. You understand what I'm saying? What it diminished yeah. was those next tier of games after the big boys. So here we go. We're going to be coming back in three, two, and one. And boy, I appreciate Gary Stokin taking that time with me as as usual in a conversation with yours truly, uh, Tim May. Sometimes it goes overtime, uh, and uh, there was a case with that. But he, uh, I, I, I like, I like, I like talking to these guys, uh, Andy, who are sort of the the movers and shakers, sometimes in front of the scenes and sometimes behind the scenes, right. But they're the ones who are driving the bus, really, when it comes to major college football right now, especially the postseason, right?
0: The ability to get the Peach Bowl to where it is now, where it is this fixture in the college football playoff, certain years, and you know, to be a game that's really recognized among the year six, I think is is a great accomplishment. And so much work goes into bowl preparation. You know, it, it's not a one month process. This is a 365 days a year process where you're getting ready for it. You're working with sponsors. You're getting the team set up. I mean, the invitation process extends throughout the year. If you're part of the college football playoff, you're working with the committee. It's a whole, whole event. It's, it's not as so simple as, oh, it happens through December to January. That's what you see. What you don't see is all the behind the scenes stuff. And a lot of that Gary has to do. And it's, it's quite incredible. Hey,
2: uh, real quick, I have got have gotten your opinion on – because you've never been on the Tim May podcast. But do you like the move? Because, you know, Gary brought up near the end of that conversation, something I've been saying all along. And the concern is when you go to a 12-team uh, playoff here in a couple of years, 2024, it's almost right on top of us. Um, now that the Rose Bowl is signed on. Um, you know, you could play – and. and You could play literally, if you're in that first round of games, which only four teams won't be, uh, you could play four games uh, in a span of, what, about six weeks that will determine uh, the national championship. Plus, you might have played in your own conferences championship game which would be five games at almost the highest level from an intensity standpoint, a ferocity standpoint, a physical standpoint that you can play in college football. And I, you know, I, I said this on the radio a couple of times uh, with Bo Bishop, you know, I could see guys opting out instead of running that gauntlet. It's just like you got guys opting out right now and not putting themselves in jeopardy for one quote, meaningless end quote bowl game. I can see guys going well you know what man i'm beat up i'm two games into this thing hey good luck fellas uh i got the i got the uh the nfl draft to worry about but i don't think people understand what a grind that could be uh for aspirants to the national championship yes only two teams would possibly play four games or three games but that's still three games uh at the highest level i mean what, what what's your thought on that i think wait the- let me and remember ladies and gentlemen you're not working with a, with a waiver wire. You can't, even though there's a transfer portal, you can't bring guys in in the middle of December and then play for you, at least not yet. That might be the next shoe that drops. But uh, uh, there's no waiver wire like there is in the NFL. Yeah, NFL rosters are smaller, but they can go get somebody who's cleaning streets somewhere
0: if they want to. So go ahead. I totally agree with you that the injury concerns. I, I think if you're going to do this – you're going to need to start looking hard at the mirror and and say maybe we need to cut down the regular season of game or something because you're running the risk of injury, opt-outs, just decreasing the quality of the game. One thing I will say coming from a beat where you cover a team in which they're not going to realistically have a chance at the college football playoff as it currently stands, because everyone that I've come across at Ohio State doesn't necessarily agree with the expanded playoff. And and that makes sense to me. Ohio State is good enough to make the playoff as is. They have consistently made the playoff. I mean, this is the fifth appearance now. And and it's one of those things where I get that, you know, this team is good enough recruiting-wise. Coming from covering a team that that isn't good enough and that could potentially, if they have a good year, a one-off year where they make a run, could make that 12-team. I think it makes sense. I know coaches in that building wanted it. I know coaches throughout the conference that, that didn't have the standing Ohio state or Georgia or LSU or any of these sec schools has, they wanted it because it actually gives you a chance to recruit with some genuine, you know, pursuit of these athletes and telling them, Hey, we can contend for a championship and you're not lying to them. You yeah. know, a lot of recruiting is kind of being the salesman, uh, maybe even a snake oil salesman lying a little bit. And I think w- with this expanded playoff, you actually can, can sell to guys. We can actually get there. Like that, that's not just a fantasy, you know, like yeah. this is something we could actually accomplish. And so I think in, in that regard, I think it's actually a positive. Um, but I do believe the injury risk is certainly something that needs to be considered. I don't know if that's, you know, I've, I've heard the possibility of, of cutting That FCS game and playing that as a spring game and bringing in the revenue that way for both of those programs, I don't know how likely that is, to be honest. It's all about money. That's why the NBA plays 82 games. The MLB plays 162 and the NFL keeps expanding its season. But yeah, as you said, there's no waiver wire like the NFL. You can't just pick up guys to replenish roster holes. And um, we already see so many uh, opt outs as is right now. And it would be really interesting, you know, to, to value, you know, what's the importance of playing that one extra college football playoff game. If you are that good and you are going to play in the NFL, is that worth risking it? We saw last year, Matt Corral, you know, he wasn't even playing in the college football playoff. He gets hurt in his bowl game, goes to Carolina and gets hurt again, out for his whole rookie season. I mean, yeah, you can't blame him for wanting for wanting to play, but it's just no one one of those examples where you also can't blame the guys for, for opting out because yeah. it, the injury risk is just so high. And I know NIL kind of maybe counter counteracts that, right, because you are making money, but it's not the same money. And we'd be fooling our, ourselves right now to, to say that it's the same money as the NFL money.
2: Yeah, but let's, let's throw this out there, though, because this is what I've talked about with some of my colleagues before. Hey, you go to a 12-team playoff, players – Players should be getting financial bonuses to play in those games and incrementally probably more the farther along you go. And, uh, yeah, it's not going to like – it's not going to like uh, uh, at all for a guy of, of big-time caliber, first-round draft, first-second-round draft pick caliber. It's not going to shade uh, – put any shade at all on what you can make as a as a high uh, – NFL draft pick, but I think you know paying a, paying players individually fifty thousand dollars to play in the national championship game to play in it. You know what I mean? In other words, if you make it, you're making fifty thousand. Not winners, you know, make this much and that much, and you incrementally go from like ten to maybe twenty five to fifty, depending on how that how it goes along. I don't think that's out of the realm of of reasoning and out of the realm of possibility. And uh, that would because here's the thing most of the guys that we see play major college football don't end up playing in the NFL, but the guys you pay attention to the guys who, who, who bring eyeballs to TV sets and who bring fannies to seats, they do, they end up at least having a shot in the NFL. And uh, so there's gotta be some kind of like, I don't know, in between ground there where you, where these guys, and I think it's been talked about, but uh, a little bonus system for guys who actually make the playoff because coaches get bonuses for making the playoffs and they're just calling plays and then watching a guy quarterback break that playoff and make, make the play on his own. And suddenly the coach is a genius, right? But you see where I'm going. Uh, Do
0: you agree with that idea? I think it should be considered. I mean, the other thing we have to think about is that student athletes already live a life that is completely different from regular students. And you're talking about a time, the peak holiday season where most students are back home with families and you're taking them away from that experience. I know that's kind of how it already is with the bowl season and the current college football playoff. We're talking about even an extended playoff where that's going to be even maximized more. Sometimes the bowl practices for for teams that aren't in the college football playoff are more of a a glorified time for the younger guys to get an opportunity to get that extra time with coaches. Uh, It's not, you know, a, a super intense atmosphere per se. It's more of a celebration of the season, getting one last look at the guys you have for next year, or the guys that are going out. And so obviously it's different in the college football playoff. It's all you have. It's all intensity. And you're, you're adding eight teams to that. So that's, you know, like over 800 more players. to that situation, and that's more guys that are missing time with families. That's more guys that are missing times with just loved ones and friends from home. I think there needs to be more of an incentive for for players to want to go through that, to put their bodies through that. And, especially when there is the potential to play at the next level or even just to preserve their bodies for a career after football. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, just being realistic, there needs to be something to keep them, keep them going.
1: Yeah, I,
0: I
2: agree. Um, hundred uh, percent. Last thing, speaking of that, dovetailing, dovetailing. Uh, I do that a lot here in the Tim May podcast. Um, who's the guy that at the end of the year was banged up for Ohio state that needs to be close to 100% if, in fact, they can get into that point uh, because, obviously, several guys were super banged up at the end of the – after the Michigan game. Who's a guy that you've got, you've got your eye on in his pre-bowl – excuse me, pre-playoff practices uh, that maybe they need to, to, you know, take the intensity off, but he's definitely you, – you can see him being – playing a huge role if Ohio State, in fact, has a shot at beating Georgia and moving on.
0: I want to say Travion Henderson. I just – I don't see how that's possible at this point given history this year. I mean, Ryan Day says that they should have everyone healthy, but I, I just don't see how Trey makes it to that point given what he's been dealing with, which is admirable he's been trying to play in the first place. I would say Mayan Williams then because I think you need to have a guy in that backfield that's consistently producing to give that passing game more of a shot if Georgia makes them one-dimensional as much as those Georgia defensive backs struggled against LSU, I just, you know, I, I, I'd put CJ Stroud up against anyone, but it's hard to play one-dimensional football. And you saw that in the second half against Michigan, they had to throw, they were down and it didn't work out too well. And I think you got to have some balance going to that game. You don't want to get in a position where you're down two, three scores to a Georgia team that has played with a lead most of this season. I mean, that's where they're comfortable. You want to have a, ability to control the clock a little bit and to have some balance offensively. And I think, you know, not only is that start with O line play, but it also involves good running back play. And we've saw at times this year, there's been holes open up for running backs for Ohio state and they haven't always had the vision to hit them. I think my Williams has been the best of the group in that regard to be able to do that. Now that's partly because he's been healthier relatively than, than Trey, but I think he's someone that would need to step up in that role and someone that would be crucial for a playoff run
1: all right well
0: dude uh, we're within uh what
2: I, I get my i get my 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 weeks all get mixed up on me but i think we're, we're two and a half weeks days. away right
0: we're 19 days away yeah as we record this
2: it'll be 18 when people listen to it and 17 when people listen to it again and 15 when they go you know what i'm getting last minute shopping here. we're driving around let's listen to the tim may podcast featuring andy backstrom um uh, Andy, I appreciate you joining me, my man. You know, we'll do this some more if you don't mind. Uh, I like picking your brain, so to speak, even though you are still a, quote, youngster, uh, you know, uh, but, uh, hey, man, and, you know, do, do you miss Boston? Or the, excuse me, do you miss the Boston area?
0: Yeah, I do a bit. I think, uh, you know, there's certain things about it. The people are a little bit ruder. Uh <laughs> Yeah. Sports fans. Hey, my though. in-laws
2: live there, live over there, man. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, well, hey, there's some great people there as well. But, you know, it's classic New England. I think it's funny because people are like, oh, got to be prepared for Ohio State fans. And that's certainly true. But, uh, you know, Boston fans are a certain breed themselves. So I yeah. felt like I was pretty prepared. Maybe not Boston College fans, but Patriots fans, Celtics fans, Red Sox fans, Bruins fans, the whole lot. So, no, it's a great place. I- I'd love to go back there sometime. But – um Columbus is great as well you know it's got a lot to offer so I'm excited to see it more ladies and gentlemen it's Andy
2: Backstrom joining me in the co-pilot seat of the Tim May podcast and uh Andy you did a very good job keeping your fingers off the buttons you didn't grab the yoke you let me just handle this thing and uh next time on I might let you fly it a little bit more but uh thanks for joining me and ladies and gentlemen uh I'll be back next week obviously we don't take a we don't take a week off in the Tim May podcast until maybe it's all over and done with. But that's another story for another day. But uh, Andy Backstrom, uh, for Andy Backstrom, this is Tim May. Until next week, we'll see you then. 18 plus.